Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. Absolutely. It's also great for the spiders and the rodents oh. and, and all that other stuff. It makes it a much more enjoyable environment for them as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Welcome to the party. You have Good now morning. you have now turned it very comfortable for them. <laughs> what you hate worse is when they say colonized. You now have uh, you know, pets that have colonized. It's like, oh no. That's what that flag in my crawl space was. Exactly. They, they called have, it. They have claimed their territory. They have. And then we look at like the whole house ventilating dehumidifier and you get like, you know, three, what we call kind of the holy grail of indoor air quality in, in one product. We can do mechanical ventilation in order to bring out that outdoor air. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B. Your one-stop shop for home improvement every single week. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Caroline, how are you today? Hello, everybody. It's that season, Eric. It's a fun one. It is. It's that season. And we've got a really good friend in the house today, our friend Nikki Kruger, Santa Fe Dehumidifiers. Welcome back to Around the House. Thank you very much. It is the season. I can I, that nasally allergy, high moisture, sticky armpit. That, yeah, we need yeah. to cha- change that to that song. It's getting hot in here. To it's getting humid in here. <laughs> <laughs> and make that the intro every time you come on. I love that. <laughs> So it is that time of year where everybody figures out what humidity really means and maybe not understand what it's doing to their house. Exactly. And it's, it's a tricky time of the year because we're not running a lot of air conditioning right now in that spring season. We've got high dew points outside, which lead to high humidity levels inside. We have people closing up their homes because of allergies, yet bringing in outdoor air in order to make sure they are diluting all the the Mm -hmm. contaminants that are inside. So it's a really tricky time of the year to control your indoor environment. And that's why, of course, that dehumidifier plays such a big role because, you know, as we know, the air conditioning does a decent job of doing it when it's running. But right now, many places it's not unless you're down in the south someplace. And, you you know, I know in the northeast, you guys had a little bit of heat here recently, but... That was just a day or two, and then all of a sudden that humid air comes right back in again, and the humidity, high humidity, gets right back and going again inside the home. I I think, Nikki, too, in the Northeast, by New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Virginia, where you are, we have this beautiful weather, and we want to open our windows, and it's this warm day, and then we forget that block or that concrete that's in our basement is cold. So what's going to happen when you've got this cold block and this sudden influx of this warm air coming in? All of a sudden, if you look at your humidistats or your temperature, you'll see all of a sudden you've got high relative humidity just from that condensation that's happening. 
And it might not even be that you're looking at something that tells you you have high relative humidity, but you start getting those musty odors mm-hmm. that start coming <laughs> from the basement or potentially if you have a crawl space, even from down there. This is the time of year where it starts rearing its ugly head of what's going on below your home, as well as, you know, potentially inside your entire home. Well, you and I were talking before we jumped on about uh, Washington State is changing some rules around up there, which in construction right now is making it difficult or creating some new situations for builders, remodelers up there with how they're changing, you know, the rules of where equipment goes or where it's suggested or what they're incentivizing. Yeah, they're incentivizing. And kudos to them because ultimately our HVAC equipment should be in conditioned spaces. And so what they're doing is they're incentivizing builders with their certificates uh, that if they choose to put the equipment in a encapsulated crawl space or an encapsulated encapsulated attic, that they receive these incentives from Washington State. And so what we're seeing is typically in the, the Northwest, crawl spaces aren't encapsulated. They're just vented. Rare. Yeah. And, and part of the reason is, you know, dew points have traditionally been low in the Northwest until you get to the real marine uh, mm-hmm. areas. And then the same with attics. And that the, the, the conditioned attics, is unconditioned attics across the country is common. But yeah. I think overall, we're going to see building codes all over the country incentivizing putting that equipment in the attic even in conditioned spaces. But I think we're seeing some confusion up in the in the Northwest is, you know, okay, so I'm going to put this HVAC equipment in the crawl space. Now I need to condition it, which means closing it up or encapsulating it. But then what's the next step? You, you, you've got to be able to add some sort of moisture control now in that space because you want to protect that HVAC equipment <laughs> down there so it doesn't condense and all that. And then also you're going to be getting moisture buildup now that there is not airflow going through like when when the vents were open, like you thought it was happening. Of course, it never really, those vents don't work the way that you you traditionally think. I mean, air doesn't come in one vent, go straight across the crawl space and out the other vent. I mean, that stack effect doesn't work that way. No, it's interesting. So my house is built 1977 and it is probably our most common situation on the West coast of, you know, Oregon and Washington where I'm at here, because I have some insulation going up against the foundation wall. I have vents. I've got dirt crawl space floor with six mil plastic down and no insulation between the crawl space and the floor above it, it's all around the perimeter and the vents. That's how most of these homes are here that are built, you know, prior to 1990. Uh, the only time you get into basements or new custom homes or homes that were built kind of pre-World War II where they put in that the basement down there. And then there were just low cellars, really. There's not too many that had real tall ceilings. Well, and... The research that I've done is what we see in the Northwest is really when you get your high humidity is during the winter seasons. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about that, that's when our stack effect is greatest. And that's when we're going, our houses are like balloons, right? We turn the heat on and the house turns up to a big balloon, which means everything that is below that home and that crawl space is now being sucked up 
into the home. So we really want to move that building envelope from, you know, underneath that floor to including that crawl space and controlling the airflow, the moistures, the allergens, all the the bad stuff that could build up in our crawl space from coming into the rest of the home. And, you know, you really do want it, even when you close it or encapsulate it, you still wanted it as isolated from the the living space as possible. Because there's, a, especially if you're in areas where they're spraying for bugs and termites, you know, below the home, you don't want that easily communicating and coming up to the rest of the house. There's a lot of pressure treated wood used for foundations. You don't want those chemicals that are off gassing coming up into the home. So even as as pretty as encapsulated crawl spaces look, and, and you can use them for storage and all that, you still don't want a lot of communication with the, with that with the rest of the house. Mm, I love that smell of creosote in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> or pressure treated lumber has its yeah. own interesting smell exactly yeah, we, i was just gonna say i lived in tacoma washington for a while in that area and that's where on the west coast where they used to make a lot of that stuff and railroad ties in the old creosote days when they would put those chemicals that were very toxic in all that pressure treated wood and i can't believe as a kid how many times we were playing on playground equipment and everything else it was made out of that same material but very, yeah. very deadly materials put into that wood. Well, and it's just, you knew we're outside playing on it. Now, if you put it in a, a, a confined space and then have it, you know, emitting continuously into the rest of the house. So you want to you wanna make sure that there's not a lot of communication at all. We actually, boy, it's been like six years ago. To, and now we developed a two-day building science uh, encapsulation uh, course. And we teamed up with Dr. Joe Steenbrook, Allison Bales, uh, building science experts for the pest industry. She put together this, this course that really focuses on the how to do it correctly. Because and understanding how vapor and because and pressure. Pressure is a big it, thing too, right? Or huge, right? So because you don't want to do a halfway job in closing up a crawl space, you can cause more problems by not doing it correctly and thinking about how the the building is working and how the outside is affecting the inside. And so, and it's been a very, very uh, popular course because again, it's focusing on the building science. It's, it's not talking about, you know, just dehumidifiers, dehumidifiers. No, it's how all this has to work together. And there are several ways to meet code for quote unquote conditioning a crawl space. But there's only one way that truly addresses the humidity to a set point, and that's a dehumidifier. You can do, you know, exhaust and supply and trying to use the HVAC system. I had uh, two crawl spaces here in Northern Virginia that were habitat homes that were both on basically the same lot. They just split it. And they were both built to Earthcraft uh, building certification, which is a, you know, is, is a very good energy efficiency code. And in one crawl space, we, so we encapsulated them both. One, we used supply uh, air from the HVAC system because that meets code to condition. And it's, mm -hmm. it's very inexpensive up front. 
that for builders sure. to use that, it's very inexpensive. They got the system there. All you're going to do is 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 put in a supply register. And, and then in the other one, we put in a dehumidifier and we monitored them both. And we started monitoring them in April. And instantly we were getting alerts that the one that was using the supply air was above 70%. Well, in April, we're not running a lot of air conditioning. And that's what you're counting on. You're counting on the thermostat in the living space, which is being controlled by the homeowner to run in order to supply enough dry, cool air into the crawl space to control the relative humidity. And, and then you're putting cool air into a cool space already. So to me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But all, spring, summer, fall, that crawl space was consistently above 70% RH. And the one with the dehumidifier in it never went above. We set it to 60% and it, it never went above that. I think too, it's a misconception. Like a lot of homeowners come to me and they say, oh, I have a conditioned basement. So I don't have to use a dehumidifier. And, and what Nikki's saying is that you can't, you know, you're relying on a thermostat that's placed upstairs controlling your temperature. Your basement is always going to be vastly different from the rest of the house, if not five to 10 degrees cooler. Exactly. So you're... That HVAC is never going to kick on or it's going to kick on too much and make that space even colder, causing even more condensation. So that's why you almost want to not disconnect that thermostat from that basement completely and that register and that supply, get rid of it, and then control it with your own either temperature gauge and then using yep. your DHU. It works the best. I mean, that's what we've been doing for years because we can't, we can't get it to navigate with the HVAC system unless it's on its own zone. Yeah. Well, it yep. seems when you do that supply only system down there, all you're doing is mixing that humidity within the rest of the house, but you still haven't addressed the humidity issue. Now you're taking that humid crawl space or basement, you're moving the air technically up into the living space, but it's still humid. Yeah. Because you have now, like you're saying, I mean, you've now provided the pathway for air communication between the two spaces. Got a so, freeway going now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, so. and like here in the wintertime in the Pacific Northwest, like we were just talking about, my air conditioner, I mean, most people around here, they put the cover over their outside compressor on an air conditioner and it doesn't come on for, for five months because we're down in the, you know, we're 70% humidity outside, 80% humidity outside, raining and 42 degrees. And the problem is, is all that humidity there's no way to remove that humidity out of the air inside the house when you do it that way. Well, and especially dew points are probably still fairly low because the temperature is low. So dew points are still probably fairly low, but it's all the moisture that's trapped inside as well. Because the tighter mm -hmm. we build these homes in, in heating-dominated climates where we haven't thought, we've always thought about, oh, we need to add moisture. Because we're, we're heating, we need to add it. But we're building homes so tight now, which is great because then we can control airflow, but we've got to address that buildup of the moisture that we're trapping inside also, which typically would be bringing in outdoor dryer and, and helping dilute that. But it's, it's the spring, summer, fall that it's, that's where your challenge is true to a set relative humidity. I know that there are, you know, cause we do the whole house ventilating dehumidifiers and, you know, we hear, more and more 
well, you know, I have a, an HVAC system that is variable speed and it's got, you know, our guy ductless mini split, and it's got dry mode. So it's going to do a really good job of focusing on that moisture. But the reality is, is the closer that those systems get to your set point on the thermostat, their, their water removal basically is, is, is diminished completely. They're not removing any moisture. So that it'll come on and it'll have a slow air, uh, the, the fan slowed down to keep more of a consistent temperature throughout the house. But now it's basically not focusing on removing any more water. It's just, it can't. It's not the way that those systems work. And dry mode is just overcooling yep. to try to remove more water. I would say more and more. We usually say keep it at 55 for, for basements and crawl spaces. 50 really yeah. for health, right? 50 is mm -hmm. where the ideal health, if we look at the charts out there of what can happen when you're below and above, but 50 is ideal. But then as we we start scoot, scooting up, now if you keep that 61% for extended period of time, everything in your house is absorbing that moisture, right? So we have a lot of people now that are like, I want 45. We, ca we call it the San Diego effect, right? <laughs> we, we, want, we want all the time to be like 75 degrees and 45% relative humidity. That's where they're most comfortable. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong. going much below that. It's just using energy at that point. You don't want to get too dry, but yeah. you do really want to control, you know, like I said, in the springtime, if you're consistently above that 55, 60, um, percent. We got to remember that this is where we start our moisture loading, we call it. Mm -hmm. So spring comes and everything in your house starts absorbing that moisture, the drywall, the couch, the mattress, the flooring, the and dust mites, the dust. Yeah. Everything is, 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 uh, <laughs> is oh, enjoy enjoying that moisture. And, uh, if we don't find a way to wet and dry and wet and dry, then what's going to happen is come September, usually August, September is when we get the majority of our calls where the evidence of moisture loading, which we refer to as microbial growth, starts appearing on our walls. That's when people start taking things out of their closet and, they, and they're seeing, <laughs> you know, mold growth on their clothes, anything leather. That's where it, it's always that, you know, pulling out the leather jacket. And so it's because we haven't dried at all. We're just continually moisture loading to the point where those things, you can't see condensation, but it, it, they can't absorb any more moisture. So that's where we start getting that surface uh, where it, it's moist enough for stuff to happen. Yeah. Seasonally, that's where it happens for us is right now for us, because we've had that extended winter yes. of high humidity. Our summers are super dry after, yep. you know, 4th of July weekend, we won't see rain significant rainfall and humidity until September, October. So that's our dry season. So it's yeah. a little different for us where everybody else has got the humidity load. Ours is over here in about another four to six weeks. And then we get into summertime when we dry everything out, the air conditioner takes us down and we almost need humidifiers in certain areas versus dehumidifiers. And so it's the exact opposite, but it's the same battle. I mean, I was down in Florida for the Kitchen of Bass show earlier this year, and I can't stand staying in a freaking Orlando hotel because I oh. walk in and go, Gross. that's a musty mess. Yep. Yep. It's very challenging for those house. 
Nikki, yep. can you tell can you tell everybody? So one of the reasons we want to use these freestanding dehumidifiers is also twofold. And when I'm looking at a home and trying to create a healthy environment, I want to increase my filtration as much as possible. And so that may be filtering on your HVAC, but that could be including a filter on your vacuum, a filter on your dehumidifier, adding any kind of additional filtration to remove particulate allergens, mold is helpful in the space. And we can't always do it with HVAC, like you said, because we're not always running the unit. So explain your product in particular offers filtration like no other. So we're killing yeah. what I call two birds with one stone, making sure that we're getting multiple uses out of a, a technology or an accessory. So explain how we do that with your products. Sure. So for the freestanding, well, all of our dehumidifiers, whether they are the, the standalone freestanding ones or the whole house ventilating all come standard with a MERV 13 filter. And the reason that ultimately we went with the MERV 13 is because our we're starting to see building code require MERV 13 filtration for ventilation. So if, if a builder's trying to meet a ventilation code by bringing in outdoor air, which it's in California it's standard that you have to use MERV 13 filtration. Uh-oh, I hear Eric. Eric, Uh-oh. did someone say Merv? <laughs> oh, no. Merv is sexy. Bringing the Merv back. Is that a bow chicka bow bow kind of? That is. <laughs> we made Merv hot. <laughs> so, um, so it. I mean, it's very, it's very effective, right? So whether it's, it's walls, but for standalone, what's great about it is we know that up to 50% of the air that's below your home, basement or crawl space, is going to make its way into the living space. So if we can filter that air below the home in our crawl space or basement with that MERV 13 filtration before it even gets up to living space, I mean, we're, we're knocking down a lot of that, those allergens and contaminants right there. Say that again for our listeners. So how much of the air in your home is comes from your basement or your crawl space? Because most of my clients don't even go in their basement or their crawl space. They ignore it and they think it just is okay that they forget about it. How much yep. did you say? 50%? Up, up to 50%. And, you know, one of the new statistics out, and um, I'll have to look to see um, who the organization is. Well, first of all, the EPA has deemed indoor air quality as one of the top five uh, hazardous uh, uh, things affecting our health right now. And six out of 10 homes have poor indoor air quality. Nice. So whether that, I mean, maybe that is, you know, if we can, if we can focus on our basement and crawl space uh, with, with that filtration and controlling the relative humidity, that, that, could change everything for for a home right there. So when we think about relative humidity, we're not just talking about when the relative humidity is high, all the products that come into your home are made of materials that have chemicals. And we call those volatile organic compounds or VOCs. And when the relative humidity gets high, those materials will off-gas at a higher rate for a longer period of time. And so people who have never had chemical sensitivities before might experience, you know, it's they, they don't know what's going on. Like I don't have allergies, but yet I'm not 
I'm getting headaches, not feeling well in my home. And it could just be that. And then you get people who are very sensitive to chemicals and in their environment. And that becomes even more important for them. No, I was going to say too. And that's why you start to smell those odors and those nasties when your humidity starts to get high. So people say, well, I never smelt must before in my house. And now all of a sudden I smell mold. That's yep. the reason. Your humidity sort of springs loose all of these volatile organics that sprinkle through the air. And now you smell everything. Absolutely. It's also and great for the spiders and the rodents oh. and the pests. And all that other stuff, it makes it a much more enjoyable environment for them as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Welcome to the party. Yep. Yep. You have now gonna... you have now turned it very comfortable for them. <laughs> what you hate worse is when they say colonized. You now have uh, you know, pets that have colonized. It's like, oh no. <laughs> That's what that flag in my crawl space was. Exactly. They, they called have, it. They have claimed their territory. They have. <laughs> and then we look at like the whole house ventilating dehumidifier and you get like, you know, three, what we call kind of the holy grail of indoor air quality in, in one product. We can do mechanical ventilation in order to bring out in that outdoor air. We have filtration. So not only are we filtering that outdoor air, before it comes in, but also when the dehumidifier is running, it's filtering all that air in the home uh, that's going through the dehumidifier. And then we're controlling that relative humidity for the entire home. So it's it's really a major component into what we look at for a, uh, a comfortable, healthy, sustainable home. You know, Nikki, I've seen stats down in Florida, in the South, where you get down into the Southern side of the U.S. and, and even further South, outside of the continental United States, but I've seen where you can actually, or I've seen claims that you could actually double the lifespan of your, of your air conditioner by putting in a unit like that to take that load off of that, to reduce the humidity inside the home. And I, I have heard that as well. You know, it, it's all a matter of, uh, you know, you're, you're putting a lot of work on a, a major engine or the major mm -hmm. component in the house. And it's the fan, it's the compressor, it's the coils that, you know, potentially that, that could affect the lifespan. But for us, it's, it's really, we want to set up the air conditioner. What, what we call it is the air conditioner's king, right? So when the air conditioner is running, it should be removing the most amount of moisture possible when it's running. But it's, you know, as, as the gentleman who invented these, Ken Deering said that, you know, every king needs a queen. And when the king is sleeping, which is overnight times and yep. shoulder seasons, he needs, his, he needs his queen. He needs something to control that relative humidity when that thermostat is not focusing on getting to that set point uh, for us to feel comfortable. See, Eric, every King needs a queen. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> what am I? Let me adjust the throne queen over here. Queen yeah. <laughs> There we go. Thank you, Nikki. There we You're go. You're welcome. Softball right there. <laughs> <laughs> Feel like I'm getting ganged up on all of a sudden here. <laughs> well, Nikki, the other thing is, too, is even in the desert southwest, dehumidifiers can be something important. Yep. And believe when I got that first call 
And I had a gentleman that wanted to uh, buy a dehumidifier in Phoenix, Arizona. I was like, oh, oh, you mean humidifier? And he's like, no, no. He's like, obviously, you don't understand monsoon season down here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never thought of it. Never thought of it. But we do uh, sell quite a few dehumidifiers into uh, those dry climates that you would never think of. And then, again, our our building construction techniques are changing. Our HVAC equipment is becoming more and more energy efficient. So it's focusing on that temperature, which means Mm -hmm. the more energy efficient it is, typically the less amount of water it reduces. And then we have, you know, aquariums and water features and, and all this stuff that we see in these more Eric desert steam that shower. <laughs> Eric loves his steam shower the in the steam house. steam showers. More and more yep. we're, we're at, you know, people are asking us, I want a dehumidifier just for my steam shower, you know, my, my bathroom with this bathroom shower. Yep. Um, actually, what in Michigan, I just had, it's a passive house. And uh, it's so tight and they wanted a dehumidifier just for that space. But the reality is, is we want to ventilate as much as possible when we're using it. And then we'll have a dehumidifier for the entire home to help control that humidity as it as it migrates from the bathroom, which whatever doesn't make it out migrates to the rest of the house. But just to focus on a dehumidifier for that space can be challenging. What I did in my bathroom real quick, just to address that, as I put in right outside the door, I have a 120 CFM fan going directly straight up outside. So it's got like a three foot tube on it. So it's as direct out as it's going to get. And then I put in my Armada drying system. So I'm pumping in a few hundred CFM into the shower, which now is grabbing all that humidity and drying the shower, which is pushing it right out. Up, so I'm almost over pressurizing the room a little bit, but it's pushing it right out to the top, and that was how I battled it yep. because I was worried about the same kind of thing. And you're in a climate where, you know, it you have a little bit more room for for air, mm-hmm. you know, if that doesn't work perfectly. But yep. if you, you know, you you got to be, it's that would have to be really engineered for uh, the southeast if if someone were going to try to do that. I mean. Uh, not sure, you know, what I'm sure people have done it and it probably worked perfectly, but uh, you'd have to be very careful in a, in a hot, humid climate. Oh, yeah. And that's not me. Yeah, that's not <laughs> you. I got nope. lucky with. That's not you. Yep. <laughs> Nikki, explain to to our listening audience. And I don't want people going to the extreme. Right. So the reason you want to use the dehumidifier is so that you get this optimal range because you don't want to go too low either. So just explain to people what happens if you try to over dehumidify or take too much of the moisture out, which isn't good. That's, that's a really good point because what we see is a lot of organizations, you know, the American Lung Association, the, the the ASHRAE, which is our HVAC kind of governing body, uh, that the American Medical Association that throw out these ranges, right? Like, so they're saying that you want to keep your humidity between 30 and 60% and 50 is ideal for health, but for sustainability and, and for, for protecting our homes, 30 to, to 60 is ideal. So we get calls from people who are like, okay, I, it's, you know, July in New Orleans and I want my humidity at 30%. 
because they've heard this range. So if if 50's good, 40's better and 30's got to be best. It's like, well, no that's not that's not how it works. 30 is actually in the in the heating times of the year. So in the winter time, you might need to add some humidity into your home for it not to be too dry and uncomfortable. And when that happens, our nasal passages dry and then viruses and bacteria make its way, you know, into our our throats and our lungs and that sort of thing. So from a health standpoint, if you can get to 30 in the wintertime, that's ideal. I lived in a 1870s home in Wisconsin. And if I could get to 20, I was I was <laughs> lucky in a leaky house in, in wintertime, right? So yeah. but then in the spring, summer, and fall really that 50% relative humidity trying to control to that is, is ideal because in that way we are uh, protecting our health. We're minimizing viruses and bacteria growth and that sort of thing. And then, you know, as well as protecting our homes. So it's that range that we need to understand. And then we need to understand that they're for different times of the year as well. Trying to get to 30 in New Orleans in July Forget it. It's never going to, yeah, you're you're not going to be happy with your electric bill if you try to to achieve that. But that 50% in in most parts of the country uh, where we call it green grass climate. So anywhere that you're getting about an inch of rain uh, during the spring, summer, and fall, and you look outside and you see green grass, you're probably going to need some level of dehumidification. And that could be basement crawl space that could be using your air conditioner if it will achieve that and then a whole house dehumidifier but it's probably going to be a combination and it's smart because you know for instance here's one thing that i'm always concerned about with homes especially when you've got hardwood floors and things like that i like to see it if you can keep that humidity from bouncing around from extreme to high to low to high to low you're not taking that sponge, which is your wood inside the house and making it like the kitchen sponge that hasn't seen dishes in three or four days and it gets shriveled up. And then when you add all that water to it, it gets expanded out. I like to see, you know, in a perfect world, the more balanced you can keep humidity in the house, the easier it is on the woodwork because you're going to see less cracks. You're going to see less cracks in drywall or plaster. I think it just makes for a happier house. And your paint. It keeps your paint from bubbling, cracking, all of that good stuff that happens when you have these differentials in temperature. We see that a lot in these older houses, like Nikki was saying, 1800s, early 1900s. You'll go in and you'll see all the paint is cracked and peeling. And then you get the worry of lead dust because this stuff breaks apart. And that is from the temperature change and then the humidity change constantly. Yep. So Eric, we have a big problem. Point. You know, a lot. Well, and the warranty on your hardwood floors, most people don't realize that they're, in those warranties, they specify you need to keep it, the RH controlled Under, in that house yep. because of, you know, uh, the, the cupping and all of that. So if somebody sees that on their wood floors and calls to make a warranty claim, they're probably going to ask you how you were controlling the relative humidity huh. in, the, in the house. And so I never knew that. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. In cabinets, yeah. your wood cabinets, mm-hmm. the same thing. I was going to say in cabinetry, great example. So people go, I want to have solid wood doors, right? On a flat contemporary solid wood door. That's why in cabinetry, they go to veneers and they don't ship solid wood doors to states like Hawaii or down south as often because 
people aren't controlling that humidity, even on the job site where the house is being built, those doors will cup and warp. So on cabinetry doors, they will go with veneers on that for something that's going to be much more stable. You can't buy a cabinet in Hawaii, for instance, that has a solid wood door on it because it's going to warp and they guarantee it. So the MDF is holding up better. The MDF panel air holds up better for a climate where you maybe don't have as much conditioning. They'll do plywood. They won't do MDF unless it's painted. But in cabinetry, it'll always be a plywood door with a veneer over the top of it uh, for durability. And and that's the way it is. Even if you order some high-end Italian cabinet, they will send you veneers. But they won't do those those hmm. solid wood oh, doors in the humid climates because you will have a problem seasonally. You'll have to go adjust the cabinet doors a couple times a year for them to look good. You'll be getting the screwdriver a lot. You know, okay, springtime, yeah. time to adjust. <laughs> Okay, fall, time to adjust. That's how it'll work. <laughs> well, and that's why, you know, and I'm sure that was driven by warranty warranty calls uh, to the builder. Oh, yeah. And that's what we're seeing more and more is, you know, with the wood floors, with the paint bubbling, that, you know, builders in, up front don't want the cost typically of adding the dehumidifier. But at some point, the warranty claims and the calls from unhappy customers start outweighing the cost of adding a commercial grade dehumidifier with a six-year warranty, the, uh, the unhappy customers and sending people out and subs out and trying to, you know, especially right now, try to find a, a subcontractor to go out and fix any problems. Uh, that's challenging. Yep. No question. And I want our customers and, and audience to know too, when you're going to, and, and I'm sorry to do this, but we call, I call them and I don't know, we might not say this, but it's, this is my lingo. We call it a Home Depot cheapo dehumidifier. That is not going to work for you if you're in these grassy climates. Now, if you are in Arizona or Palm Springs or places like that, you can get away with using a traditional dehumidifier but it depends on the time of year. But if you're in these other climates, those units that take out 60 pints or only get down to 65 degree temperatures are not going to work for you in these other areas of the country. And unfortunately, I love to say, you know, my clients say, well, I'm just going to go get a dehumidifier at, you know, my local hardware store. It just doesn't work that way. You need a commercial grade. So when you hear Nikki saying commercial grade, that's what she's talking about, that these units are specifically designed for these climates. Yeah, and so we, you know, we manufacture lots of dehumidifiers for industrial applications, agriculture applications, and the components used in those dehumidifiers where they are seeing very corrosive environments a lot of the time, restoration situations where, you know, a hurricane's gone through and you see someone, you know, wheeling in a dehumidifier down these steps and it's bounced around from house to house, those components are used in our residential dehumidifiers. And so basically, you know, the, our dehumidifiers usually go in and they're placed in a certain spot and that's where they stay. They're not being beaten around. So our components really do with, with, withstand a lot of what residential applications throw at it no problem and are going to last for for a longer period of time. They go down to lower temperatures, so they're still going to remove water at lower temperatures. And uh, like I said, you know, this the six year warranty on them. So it's important. We've had people, you know, say, well, you know, it's it's not your first dehumidifier because people have to go through the pain of going <laughs> through all of find those. the cheap ones. Yeah, right? the cheap ones. <laughs> I'm um, sorry. 
but 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 it's your last one, you know, and so you yeah. have to have that dehumidifier graveyard basically in the corner <laughs> of your basement where, you know, every year you're buying a new one before they realize that it's just time to make the investment in in a commercial grade unit. I was going to say, go take a look at that graveyard because you could have a recalled one that causes the fires out there. You might be able to actually go buy a commercial yes. one if you have mm. enough of those stacked in the corner. Yeah, You could get some money back on those. So you could have sunny money savings in the bank sitting there in your DU graveyard because that could get you reimbursed. So true. Just say it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to see something, something scary, you definitely want to uh, go, uh, go on YouTube and put in a dehumidifier uh, recall fire and you'll see people running out of their houses with smoking portable dehumidifiers that all of a sudden become in, in, engulfed in flames because of that. So it's, it is very important, oh, you know, on, on these uh, segments to reiterate that you, if you have a portable and it's not brand new to make sure that you go on and check those recalls. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think part of the problem is too, the units will run and run and run. Like a lot of my customers think their units are working because they'll see this unit and you hear it, it's running and running and, but no water is actually coming out of your drainage hose. And you need to look at that and and say, okay, well, the unit's running. Do I have water actually being removed? Because the units basically get to a certain temperature when you buy a cheaper one where they're unable to remove water, but they continue to run. So yeah. that's a big, that's another reason. And, and because the unit continues to run, then you have the potential risk of a fire and it doesn't shut off. And air movement is very important as well with a dehumidifier. One thing I was going to say is we have a problem here on the coast Uh, for us is we have a lot of vacation homes along the ocean. And the problem is people spend their summer times there on the weekends. And then they turn the heat down on the baseboard heat to, to keep the pipes from freezing and they walk away for five months. But we're seeing now that they're remodeling these homes. They're putting on new siding and house wraps and new windows because they're worn out. Now we're seeing out on my area here, tons of mold and mildew issues inside of these things when they walk back in five months later because they've had it at 50 degrees for four months. Is that still a situation where they should be looking at a dehumidifier for those off season months that they're not using that beach cabin basically? Yeah. So we, we, we call it uh second homes, you know, in, in because we're not conditioning these homes to what we've designed the HVAC systems for because people aren't there. So we're not worried about comfort. We we see it a lot in the, you know, if we if we look at, you know, quote unquote snowbirds uh, down in Florida, but really it's anywhere there's a second home, you're going to have to think about controlling the moisture. We did a case study down in uh, the villages uh, in uh, Florida where, you know, people leave for the summertime uh, and then they come back during the winter months and they're overcooling with the air conditioner to try to control the relative humidity when they're not there because they don't want to walk back into, you know, a cesspool, basically. Mm-hmm. And so what we did is we set the thermostat at 85 degrees and put in a whole house dehumidifier and kept it at 60% relative humidity because we're really just trying to protect the, the contents mm-hmm. of the helm. And they had over 40% energy savings by using the dehumidifier to focus on the relative humidity versus trying to use an air conditioner uh, when nobody's there. 
We're not worried about the comfort. We're just worried about maintaining that moisture. So it would be, you know, whether it's in the mountains or, you know, the, the Pacific Northwest, if controlling humidity is, is going to help prevent any of that microbial growth, then absolutely there is a strategy that can be implemented. And usually it's very energy efficient versus the alternatives. And you're talking about the villages in Florida. I mean, that is a massive compound. I mean, I've huge. been down there. I mean, there's so many units. Could you imagine if every single one of those units had a yeah, whole house that, humidifier? Because what they've done in the past is, you know, you'll, they'll, you'll, they'll override the thermostat with a humidistat. And then, you know, for every degree that we cool the air, the RH automatically goes up 2%. So it's kind of, you know, counter to what they're trying to achieve because they're overcooling, which is driving the temperature down, mm -hmm. which is getting us closer to condensation uh, temperatures. So it, it, it doesn't always work in the real world like it does in our minds, right? Well, if the AC is running, it's removing water. But if you overrun it and you overcool it, you're, you're creating more problems potentially. Nikki, just explain too, and I always, every time we have a guest on, the difference when people look at temperature, the difference between sensible heat and latent heat and how you feel temperature, because it's really important that people just don't get used to looking at their thermostat and looking at their degree and why that's important. Sure. So the sensible is what your thermostat is focusing on, right? So when you go to adjust mm -hmm. that temperature, that's called uh, sensible. And the latent is the moisture in the air. And you really don't, most thermostats do not have a latent uh, control on it. They might tell you what the relative humidity is and you might be able to overcool, but that's not what it's focusing on. It's focusing on getting to that temperature. And when you control the relative humidity in your home, you typically will feel more comfortable at a higher temperature set point which can result in energy savings because you can increase that thermostat two to three degrees and probably be more comfortable. It's the difference between 90 degrees in Arizona and 90 degrees in Florida. Typically 90 degrees in Arizona, people are like, this is great. I'm so good. comfortable. It's beautiful <laughs> out. Then you go it's 90 dry in Florida and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's miserable. So, and that's, that's the difference. And you know, every time that you increase that thermostat setting, there can be, you know, a significant energy savings when, when you do that, when you're not running your air conditioner. And, you know, uh, we have dehumidifiers that are, are, you know, five amps, our smallest units, that, which up to 1800 square feet, that, that is far more energy efficient to use something to focus on uh, to the relative humidity with five amps than trying to run the largest system in the house that really is just overcooling and potentially creating a more uncomfortable situation. How about sizing? So if you go on to santafeproducts.com, you are going to see varying degrees and sizes and looks of dehumidifiers. Some are what I call a horizontal unit or a vertical unit, and you have to pick something according to your living space and what's gonna, what you want and the look and feel. But there are also vastly different sizing as far as your pint removal. So when customers go onto the site, how do they know what they need? 
How do they sure. know what size they, they should acquire? And is always is bigger always better? Yeah. So we have, when you go on there, there will be a tab that says, find your IAQ solution. And that will help walk you through if you're looking for a crawl space or basement or a whole house unit. And then it's going to start going into square footages. So we are very, very conservative in our recommendations based on square footages. And that's because it's hard to oversize a dehumidifier, but very easy to undersize a dehumidifier. So like, let's say we take our 70 pint, whether it's a whole house or a crawl space or basement, we stayed up to 1800 square. Now there could be scenarios where you might need more than that. And if you're always on the, the border, like if you are 1800 square, 1700 square feet, 1800, go with the next size go bigger. up. You always want more capacity because come July 4th, when you have 20 people running in and out of your house, cause you're having a party and it becomes very uncomfortable, you're going to want that extra capacity. When it's the rainy season, you're going to want the extra capacity. And there really is not significant uh, price differences when you start going up. So you always want more. Now, we've, we've seen people out there or companies claim, well, this 70-pint dehumidifier will do 3,000 square feet. Well, I mean, there are maybe a couple houses out there in a drier climate where it will do 3,000 square feet. But again, you don't want to spend that money and not get what you're paying for. So you're always, we are, like I said, we are very conservative because we want it to be successful and we don't want people to be unhappy. So that walks you through, you know, basically getting to a, the, the general of what you're going to need. Now, if you're doing a whole house system, uh, you probably are going to want to work with your HVAC contractor to make sure that we're, he, you're taking everything into consideration. Maybe the amount of fresh air that you need to bring in. Maybe you've got 20 foot ceilings, which mm -hmm. can be very different because then we're looking at cubic square footage versus, you know, our, our cubic uh, feet versus the square footage of the house. Oh. So there are scenarios and, and you can call us and, and, but we do have a really great new chat bot on our website as well that you can just go in and ask a question and hopefully it can get you answers much quicker than trying to, to navigate the entire website. What have we not touched on today that we should be talking about as far as humidity control, controls go? Yeah, I, you know, I think we need to start looking at the mechanical systems in our house and how they need to change in conjunction with our building uh, practices are changing. It's, you know, mm -hmm. we used to have just heating in, our, in a lot of our homes. Most homes, you know, didn't have air conditioning. That was a luxury. And now air conditioning is standard, right? You, you would never not have air conditioning in a, in a home. And I think that's where we are going with dehumidification as well. When we look at, you know, moisture is the number one detriment to a building and how it affects our health also, that it can't be looked at as just, well, we're going to count on the air conditioner to do that. We've really got to think about our moisture control strategies. And, you know, again, it might just be controlling underneath the home. And, and that's all we need to do. But in, you know, when we get into more hot, humid climate, the entire home really needs to be looked at as what is my moisture control strategy? And I have gizmos all over my house. And as a healthy home expert, I hope that my house is somehow a, is a, is a demo model, but 
years and years ago, I went from checking that temperature gauge to automatically always checking humidity. And and that not only makes you feel better because it, it you actually, as Nikki was explaining, if your humidity is high, you're going to be uncomfortable. But then it also helps you to say, uh-oh, I have to do something with my monitors going off and I've got to control that so I don't get bugs and pests and dust mites and mold and all of these things. So I think that we are moving in a direction. Everyone needs a dehumidifier as far as I'm concerned. And if you don't have one, it, when you do have it, it's going to be such a luxury to you that you're going to appreciate just the health and wellness it brings. Well, especially when you look at the increase of allergies and asthma in our country, people are very sensitive, we have respiratory issues. Uh, so controlling humidity uh, is a big part of that. And the best way to get you is over on the website? Yep, www. Do we even say that anymore? I don't know I don't if we say so. that anymore. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, it, it's santa-bay-products.com. Perfect. Nikki Kruger, thanks for coming on today. It's always a blast and always looking forward to next Thank time. you. I appreciate it. Have a great day. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the House. The house. Eric G from around the house. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.